Good morning, West Park. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to 1 Peter chapter 2 this morning. 1 Peter chapter 2 as we continue our series, Excellence in Exile, Faithful Living in a Fallen World. Faithful Living in a Fallen World. 1 Peter chapter 2. You know, it was three years ago today that Sarah and I were arriving in South Africa to adopt a little two-year-old boy, Sandili, or Elijah Sandili. And as we flew into South Africa, it didn't take us long to realize that For the most part, we were going to be on our own in this journey. We were going to have to figure out, navigate this process on our own and figure out a different culture on our own. And what we found was that even the simplest of tasks became very difficult in a different culture. Tasks like driving on the left side of the road on the right side of the vehicle. For six weeks, I was getting in, constantly getting in the wrong side of the vehicle. And for six weeks, I was constantly asking Sarah, am I on the right side of the road? Which was the left side of the road, right? It's confusing. Even the simplest tasks were very difficult. And I I like to travel, I I enjoy different cultures, I am fairly um, easy to adapt, and South Africa is amazing, but those six weeks were extremely stressful. And as hard, but as hard as they were, as hard as that adaption process was, pulling the proverbial covers over my head and pulling the shades, And just riding out my time there was not an option. Neither could I, like a tourist, just sit on the beach for six weeks. Why? Because I had a mission. I had a task to accomplish, adoption. In much the same way, the the Apostle Peter is instructing believers to live far from home. He's instructing us not only how to live far from home, not just how to survive far from home, but how to accomplish a mission, accomplish our task far from home. And we saw this task just a couple weeks ago. Derek Grizz opened this passage to us that elect exiles have this mission here in chapter two, verse 12. Peter charges us to keep our conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. That's the mission. And from that point, the apostle jumps off into some very practical instructions of how to accomplish that mission. Last week, Pastor Sam told us about Peter's word to citizens. In the coming weeks, we'll hear instructions to 
husbands and wives to church members. And this week, we're gonna hear his word to servants. But this word to servants here in our passage this morning is really a word to us all. So look with me, if you will, at Peter's word to servants, Peter's word to us all, starting in verse 18 and reading through the end of the chapter. He said, servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing when mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseers, overseer of your souls. The word of God. Now, I realize that even as we get started in our passage, even on just one reading of our passage, we may already have hit a little bit of a speed bump. This passage may already feel very strange and very foreign to us because after all, Peter is addressing his words to who? To servants. And so it immediately feels strange to us because after all, we're not servants and we don't have masters. So we might quickly and easily dismiss this passage. And what's even more difficult is some of our English translations render this word servants, render it slaves. And so immediately our our minds might go to an American form, an American institution of slavery that was based on race and, and kidnapping. But it may be helpful for us to understand this morning that First century Roman slavery was not the same as American slavery. It was not good. It wasn't. It's not that it was any better. It often was not. But it's helpful to understand that it was different. First of all, Roman slavery was not based on race. And second of all, not all Roman slavery was the same. Some slaves were treated absolutely inhumanely and treated as nothing more than property. But other servants, other bond servants were oftentimes considered part of the household, part of the family. They were entrusted with great responsibility, entrusted with significant resources. And in fact, the word that Peter uses here, the word beneath, the Greek word beneath our 
our English servant or slave here is really the word for that second idea, that idea of a household servant or a bond servant. So, so some have read this passage and primarily said we ought to relate this to this servant-master relationship to our idea of an employee-employer. And certainly there are huge implications for the workplace and for us, especially as employees, as we take that role. But, but what I want us to see this morning is that Peter's words are not just for first century servants and they're not limited to modern day employees, but they are a word to us all. Peter's message to bond servants is really his message to every believer and it's this. Submit to human authority. And when you do, at times, you will suffer for it. That, that's Peter's idea here. That's his message not only to bond servants, but we're gonna find it's his message to all elect exiles that we are to be subject to human authorities. And when we are, at times, we should expect to suffer. Let's look at that first point here. We find it in verse 18 that Peter's point that we are to submit to all kinds of authority. Look at verse 18 again. It says, servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. Now remember, we just saw Peter clarify our mission as elect exiles, as strangers in this world, as believers walking really as pilgrims through this world. What is our mission? To put our good deeds on display in a way that would glorify God. Great, Peter, how are we supposed to do that? We wanna know, we're leaning in. How are we gonna do that? One word, submit. Peter is clear. If you read his letter, he is, it is clear that his number one charge to elect exiles is to be subject or to submit. In fact, the word he uses here for be subject, hupotasso, this idea of to place or order underneath, Peter uses it more here in his little letter than it's used in any other New Testament book. It's clear, to, to Peter, job number one is to submit. And we find that he calls all kinds of believers to submit. Citizens, wives, servants, younger believers, it's all throughout here. He calls all kinds of believers to submit to all kinds of authorities, to governments, to leaders and rulers, to masters, to husbands, to pastors, to older believers, it's all here. Now that's a tough word this morning. We are a people who thrive on freedom and independence. This is a tough word, but it gets tougher, right? Not only are we to submit to authority, but we're to submit to all kinds of authority. What does he say at the end of verse 18? Not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. That word unjust there means crooked, unfair, 
unreasonable, even evil and ungodly authority. It's all included here. And if we're wondering, Peter makes it very clear that it's included because he calls citizens to submit to who? Even the likes of the emperor Nero. And we're gonna find that he calls wives to submit even to husbands who don't obey the word. And he's gonna call servants to submit not only to the good and gentle, but also to the crooked, to the perverse. Now we could probably all think, I hope, we could all think of some, of the, some authority, some boss, some pastor, some teacher, a parent, that we would do anything for. We would run through a wall for that person. But on the other side, I'm sure we could all think of someone in the same position whose character and ways make us cringe. But what we need to understand right up front is that Peter's charge to submit covers the entire spectrum of authority. We are to submit to all kinds of authority. You know, interestingly, this is a rather long passage, but that is the only command, that's the only imperative that Peter gives. This idea of be subject. That's the only thing he says to servants is be subject. What are we supposed to do? Be subject, submit. The rest of Peter's words to servants, to to elect exiles here, really focuses on on the fallout. Okay, what's gonna be the result when we do that? When we submit even to the worst kinds of authority, should, should we expect pats on the back, a plaque, a celebration in our honor? No, that's not what he says at all. We, he makes it very clear that we should expect and we should endure unjust suffering. Verse 19 and 20 says this, for this is a gracious thing when mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. So on the one hand, Peter has told us that God has appointed authority to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. But he's also gonna warn us that in a fallen world, we should at times expect authority. We should at times expect to run into authority that will do just the exact opposite. And in the face of that kind of authority, what are we supposed to do? Well, Peter's words here are, we are to keep on submitting. We are to keep on in humble submission. This idea of endure is to bear up under or really to remain up under that kind of authority. And he says, when you do, this is the first glimpse of hope that we get here. This is a favorable, commendable thing. This is praiseworthy in God's sight. This summer, our kids have spent a lot of time at the pool. And our older kids, their six-year-olds, have 
um, picked up where they left off last summer in learning how to swim. And I was at the pool a couple weeks ago with them and I encouraged Ethan after watching him swim, how, how well he was doing. I said, hey buddy, you ought to try to swim the entire length of the pool. Now, not the width, but the length. It's a, it's a long, it's a rather long pool. And so he was up for that. He jumped in the deep end and swam. He kept swimming, kept swimming. Even when he got to the shallow end, when he could touch, if he wanted to, he could touch the bottom, give himself a little boost. He just kept swimming and he made it. And you know, when he did that, I have to tell you, I was proud of him. And rightfully so. I was proud at the endurance and the perseverance he showed. That's hard. That's hard for a little guy. He made it. Now, I also want you to know my delight in my son, (laughs) I delight in my son regardless of his ability to swim. Right? I, I don't delight in him because he swam the length of the pool, but at the same time, I was proud of him for doing that. In, in, in the same way, God says that he delights in his children when they endure. Now, can we earn God's favor? Can we, can we earn God's delight? Absolutely not, or it wouldn't be grace. But Peter tells us that there's something special, that that God looks in a special way, that God smiles like a proud father on his children when they continue to bear up underneath suffering. Not when they sin, what credit is that? But when they endure up underneath suffering for doing what's right. Now, Admittedly, this this is a hard thing, right? This is a difficult thing. This is harder than swimming the length of the pool, right? This is difficult. Patient endurance is not our reflex, right? A reflex is a natural, involuntary reaction. So somebody hits you on the right place in the knee, you kick at them. You don't even have to think about it. You just respond. It's, It's natural, We don't naturally respond to unjust suffering with patient, humble, submissive endurance, do we? You know what our reflexes are? Our natural reflexes are to either give up and give in or to get even, right? That's that's what we naturally want to do. That's our natural tendency. To just give in or to get even. For some of us, our our tendency is to give in. Maybe at work, you've done your best to be a representative for Christ. You've worked hard. You've been respectful of your boss. You've been a friend to your coworkers. But in return... You're overlooked, you're mistreated. You're spoken evil of. Maybe the same thing could be said about you at school. You've tried to be a good representative for Christ. You've tried to show his truth in love. 
and you're only mocked, maybe by teachers, maybe by fellow students. Maybe it's in your, in your marriage. You've tried to be patient. You've tried to be kind. You've tried to show love and forgiveness, but in return, nothing. Maybe worse than nothing. Maybe you've only received anger and bitterness, harshness. Maybe in your family, maybe with your children, you've tried to love them. You've tried to raise them up in Christ. You've tried to support them, to speak the truth in love, but in return, your efforts of love are only rejected. Best efforts are used against you. There's so many applications that we can make to this. Maybe it's just in general, out in the world, among unbelievers, among your neighbors, you try to speak up for Christ, you try to be a representative of the gospel, try not only to, to speak the gospel, but to model Christ's love, you're only mocked. Your positions that you try to take with grace based upon God's word are ridiculed. And in light of all that, what do you wanna do? Just, some of us, we just wanna give up. If this is what I'm gonna get, no thanks. We're tired, we think it's not worth the effort. But you know, maybe for most of us, the most natural reflex is to get even right? It's so natural that we don't have to teach our children how to get even, right? We don't have to teach them to hit back, to push back, to scream back, to growl back. That's a thing at our house sometimes, growling back, yelling back, pushing back, right? We don't have to teach that. And we, and we don't have to teach them to defend themselves, as one author and counselor put it, we are naturally great self-defense lawyers. We can defend ourselves. We can defend our actions. And in children, we see this all the time. When you ask them, why did you do that? Will they? Will he? Will she? Right? Our natural response is to get even. And unfortunately, it's not just in children, right? Right? We see this and, and sometimes we keep our vengeful attitudes and actions and words a, a little closer, a little, pa a little more tidy and packed up and hidden away, but just let somebody pull out in front of us. Just let somebody honk their horn at us. Just let someone not wave when we let them in front of us. Right? We are so quick to defend ourselves, so quick to, get, to be vindictive when we feel that we were wrong and unjustly so. These things are instinctive and we admit, Lord, this is the way in our flesh we're wired to respond. But thankfully, the apostle Peter shows us a different way here. In verses 21 through 23, we see that Jesus has shown us a different way. Verse 21 says, for to this you have been called 
because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. Thankfully, Christ has made another way. He has, he has forged a different path. He has left us an example. This word for example is the idea of a, a pattern. Really, a, you could think of a, a preschooler's worksheet that maybe has the letters of the alphabet um, dotted with an outline. So they can just trace that pattern. And in doing so, in just tracing that pattern, and, and really no skill of their own, just tracing that pattern, they can create something. And what we find here is that when it comes to patient enduring, when it comes to enduring and remaining faithfully underneath unjust suffering, we are like children who need a pattern to follow. And Jesus has provided it. So what pattern did Jesus leave us? Well, first we see that he did not retaliate. Verse 22 and 23 says that he committed no sin Neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten. Peter clearly says that Jesus committed no sin. All, an all-encompassing statement. But specifically, he shows us that Jesus didn't sin in his response through his words. All the examples that Peter gives us are examples of how Jesus used his words or didn't use his words. So he did not respond with deceit, that's dishonesty. He did not respond with reviling or by hurling insult, insults. He did not make threats. And I thought about that this week. Why would Peter make this broad statement that Jesus did not sin and then focus in on words? I thought maybe because words are our first reaction. This is really our knee-jerk reaction is to respond with words, with wrong words. And at times this feels like our only recourse, right? So maybe with our boss, we feel like there's nothing else we can do, but we can talk ill of them to other coworkers. We can complain about what they do and what they say, who they are behind their backs. That feels like something we can do. Or maybe we can't change our parents' minds, but we can fight back with insults. We can hurl threats. Maybe it doesn't seem like there's anything we can do about our elected officials, but we can vilify them with our words. Maybe with our spouses, feel like we can never change them, but we can gossip, we can slander them to our friends. In contrast to all this that comes so naturally for us, Jesus shows us a different way. And interestingly, he lets Isaiah paint the picture of Jesus. Pastor Joe read Isaiah 53, and this is where Peter pulls his description of Jesus' response. Interestingly, Isaiah also was writing to a group of elect exiles, to Jewish captives in Babylon. And, and what's the pattern? What kind of pattern does the Messiah leave for those who are unjustly suffering? 
silent submission. Listen to Isaiah 53, seven. He was oppressed, he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before its shears is silent. So he opened not his mouth. Jesus did not retaliate. That's the pattern he's left us. But that's not all he did. Look at verse 23. It says, when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Jesus entrusted himself to God. You know, we can read Jesus' example. We can see the pattern that he left us and we can get the idea that Jesus did nothing. And so there's nothing we can do. In the face of unjust suffering, there's nothing we can do. It doesn't say that Jesus did nothing. What did he do? He entrusted himself to a greater authority. He put his soul, his case in the hands of a good and just judge. When he was before an evil and crooked and perverse judge, he entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. And this continually through Peter's letter is the encouragement to us to keep our eyes just above the authority of this world, looking to the authority, our true authority in God, looking to him as the just judge. And, and our great confidence when we do that, our great hope when we do that is that one day righteousness will be rewarded. The righteous will be vindicated. One day, unrighteousness will be punished. Evildoers will be judged. Now, friend, today, you, you may feel like your unjust suffering is going completely unnoticed, unaccounted for. You feel overlooked, you feel forgotten. And this morning, maybe responding in the quiet humility and meekness of Jesus feels to you like giving up and it feels like giving in to evil and injustice. But here's Peter's words to you. When you don't seek vengeance, when you lay down the gavel, the just judge picks it up on your behalf. He is the one that will punish evildoers. He is the one that will reward the righteous for their good deeds. Now, I, I wanna call just a 30 second, maybe, maybe a 30 second, maybe I'll need a full timeout, but I think a 30 second timeout will do it. And I, and I would just want to clarify, I wanna say something about this response I wanna say something about seeking justice, especially in the light of all that we have experienced and seen recently in our country. And I wanna clarify this. I wanna clarify this, that Peter is not saying that we should never speak up for that we should never speak up or that we should never seek justice. Peter's not saying that. Not at all. 
In fact, remember what Peter has just told us. He has just told us that God has indeed set up human institutions as a restraint to injustice, to punish evildoers, to praise those who do good. So even in a fallen world, we will often have authorities who to some measure punish the guilty and to some measure protect the innocent. And where God in his grace has given us this recourse, we should pursue justice through these human institutions. Where those recourses exist. This is God's design. But for us as the believer, it must never be done with a vengeful, vindictive, angry, embittered mentality. And it must always be done, never seeking complete and ultimate justice in this life because it will never happen. Always keeping our eyes on the good and just judge who will one day set everything straight. Okay, that was a full timeout. All right. Jesus has shown the way. But this last point to me is the best point. Not only has Jesus shown the way, Jesus has made the way. Read with me verse 24 and 25. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were straying like sheep, but now, but have now returned to the shepherd and the overseer of your soul. As we look at Jesus' pattern, as we look at his footsteps, we may say, and rightfully so, I see his pattern, but how in the world am I to follow that? I see his footsteps, but it's like they go up a mountain. It looks like they go up an Everest of perfection and obedience. I can't follow that. Or I see his pattern and I try to trace it, but it's a Michelangelo. It's a masterpiece. I can't even trace it. I can't do that. What am I supposed to do? How am I supposed to follow that? The truth is that we need more than, more than an example. But the glorious truth of the gospel is that what God requires of us, he has already given us through Jesus Christ. That is the gospel. What he has called us to do, he has empowered us to do through Jesus. This is the great hope of the gospel. Not that we can be better people, not that we can suck it up, bear it out, but that through Jesus, our hearts can be transformed to obey. I want you to consider these two things. Because of Jesus, endurance is possible, and because of Jesus, suffering is not ultimate. What does he say in verse 24, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. 
by his wounds, you have been healed. Because of Jesus, your endurance is possible. You say, well, how is that, how is it possible? Because through Jesus' suffering, through his death, we have died to sin. All that anger and bitterness, that vengeful spirit that comes so naturally to us, guess what? If we're in Christ, we've died to that kind of spirit. That kind of spirit no longer enslaves you, believer. That's no longer your identity. You are no longer a bond servant, a slave to sin. You have died to that spirit. You've been set free. What have you been set free to? You've been made alive to righteousness. Instead now, in Jesus, you've been made, to, you've been made alive to the same humility, the same patience, the same forgiveness, the same endurance that Jesus portrayed because you now have his same spirit. The spirit of God is able to work these things through you. It is not impossible. Endurance is possible because of Jesus. And because of Jesus, your suffering is not ultimate. Think about this. We as, as bad as your situation may be, as unjust as it may be, and it may be horrific, the gospel reminds us that we are not the ultimate suffering servants. Who is? Jesus is, right? Jesus is the ultimate suffering servant. This is an amazing thought. Who is that good and gentle master? Jesus. Who are the servants that deserve punishment? We are. This is amazing. This is the gospel that the master suffers for the servants, for the sins of his servants, that our overseer becomes the sufferer, that our shepherd becomes the one who suffers on behalf of straying sheep. Now, ultimately, we are not suffering servants. This is not our final identity, right? Our final identity is not as those who suffer. Hang with me here. We are not ultimately those who suffer unjust punishment. We are ultimately those who enjoy undeserved blessings. Did you get that? That is the gospel. I hope that maybe as you have time to meditate, that, that truth will make your heart sing. Maybe you're falling asleep this morning, but I hope that you'll wrestle with this truth that in the gospel, we are not ultimately those who suffer unjust punishment. We are ultimately those who enjoy undeserved blessing. 
This is our identity. This is why we can endure because of the gospel. The gospel is that Jesus endured unjust suffering so we might enjoy unjust blessing. That's the gospel. And as we close here in a minute, I've asked Jeff and the team to come back and lead us in a song of worship. As I was reading these words, even yesterday, I was blown away by the truths of the gospel and said, this is grace. This is amazing grace. Help our hearts to sing it, even in the midst of our suffering, even in the midst of unjust suffering. May our hearts sing, this is amazing grace. May I lead us in a word of prayer. Father, what we have read here this morning, what we have been confronted with this morning are incredibly difficult things. It's difficult for us to hear that we are called to submit even in the face of unjust authority that we would suffer, Lord, for doing what's right, that's upside down. Oh God, help us. Empower us through Jesus to not live under that, but to live the great truth, the freeing truth, the liberating truth that we are free in Jesus and one day we'll enjoy ultimate freedom, ultimate blessing because of your amazing grace to us.